Hello, my name's Evie and I'm here to have an honest discussion about all things sex, mental health and self-love with some amazing people I've met through Instagram. Most Fridays, unless I'm going out for a drink, join me for a good old chat on everything surrounding sex and your body with some of the best in the sex positive community. Welcome to Clitry the Best, a conversation with Jessica, aka the ludicrous uterus, discussing gynae health. Hello, how are you? <laughs> Good, Evie. I'm so excited to be here. I've been a fan of yours Aww. and the page since I started my Instagram a few months ago. So oh, when our you. paths crossed, I was like, like fangirling. I'm like, oh my oh. gosh, I would love to to be on. And <laughs> oh, I always think that's so crazy. And, and just, chat. So it's, yeah, it's just, <laughs> just me on my own and my desk just drawing away. And people are like, oh, no, yeah, thank you. Well, thanks for coming on. But you, but yeah. Of course. But yeah, you do such great work and you provide such great information. And so to have something that's just like, you have these beautiful like artwork images, they're, they're funny, they're cool. They're like really attractive to look at and you have really great information and it's just digestible and easy and fun. And so that's why I just, I think you're doing such a, such a service (laughs) for, for Gyne and, and female health so thank you well thank you it's been nice because at the moment I've been getting I think as I've grown I'm getting a lot of hate Mm. Um, oh my gosh yeah well mainly like yeah I hate to say it but mainly men Um, yeah I mean that's not a surprise (laughs) but yeah no thank you that's very nice of you um yeah anyway let's get into it (laughs) sure let's do my head grows too big Um, (laughs) could you please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself Sure. Yeah. So I, um, I'm based in the United States. I actually live in Texas and I'm an OBGYN physician. So I'm board certified. I did four years of residency, um, in OBGYN. And then after I graduated, I was in private practice for three years. And a few months ago, I actually stepped away from private practice and have really just been entertaining some different avenues of what I think the next step in my journey should be. I've always really been passionate about, um, just like taking care of people that are in like marginalized communities. There's Mm. just so much disparity within healthcare, not only when you're talking about like gender disparity, but when you're talking about like racial disparity Mm. and financial disparity, there's just so much and so much of it that gets swept under the rug and is kept quiet. But as I've been in private practice and I'm seeing more and more of those things, I just, Mm. I feel like I can't, I can't be silent anymore. And so I've kind of created this, this platform where I'm just hoping to basically share all of the knowledge that I have so that Mm. people can feel empowered about their body, about their health. So that when they go to the doctor, they don't feel like somebody speaking a totally different language to them. Like they can get some really basic information from me, but also to bring awareness to just the, it just, disgusting amount of, of, um, disparity that exists in medicine. Mm. And I think we're starting to see a lot of it get called out, especially this past year in 2020, but mm. there's still too much silence around it. Yeah. I like, I'm only just learning and that's only to Instagram. Like if I wasn't on Instagram, I'd be completely oblivious. Yes. And I guess I'm definitely in a position of privilege. And now mm-hmm. it's really nice to see that we can all start learning about it really. But yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Um, so what would you, we're going to crack right in with the question. Let's so this is, this is something that I bang on about all the time, but I think it'd be nice to hear from a proper professional. What is mm-hmm. the difference between 
vulva and vagina? <laughs> uh, this is such a good question. So the simple fact is that obviously we use the word vagina for everything, but mm-hmm. when we're talking about vagina, the vagina actually just means the inside. The vulva is the outside. So the vulva is what you see. It's where you have the labia, the like lips of the, of the vulva. Those mm-hmm. are the labia. Um, you can see the clitoris. That is all the outside the vulva. The vagina is actually the, the inner part where mm-hmm. If you have penetrative sex, the penis goes in, toys go in, all of that, that, that inner stuff is, is the actual vagina. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I still catch up on it. Like I'm still catch myself saying vagina and I'm in vulva and it's just, I think it's been probably drilled into us, isn't it? From the beginning. Yeah. And I've done that even with my daughter, because I like from a young age with her, I was like, we're not calling it anything other than vagina. Like I want you to Mm. tell me my vagina hurts, but of course, like I'm, I've thought about, wow, I've ingrained that in her to say vagina and not vulva. So I've been Mm. trying to get her to say vulva and she's just like, vagina vagina so yes because we've been calling it vagina since she was like two years old and so now mm. I'm like oh I really did a bad disservice so this past year I'm like it's vulva it's your vulva it's your vulva mm. I mean I guess it's not the end of the world is it but it, I guess it is important with if you are in pain trying to tell yes where you yes are and stuff like that yeah and there was actually a, an interesting story that that I read about um, a a woman who was talking about this, uh, like a a child who was talking about like, oh, someone like, you know, was touching my cookie and da, 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 da. And it actually was, ended up being a case of sexual abuse, but because the, the child was only ever taught to call it cookie, nobody ever thought she was actually talking about her genitalia. And so that was something that always like stayed with me and why I refused to ever call it Mm. any like any cutesy name. Like that's just, I don't ever want have my kid in that situation also cookies a bit I, I don't know I don't know if I'm just being a bit dark here but like we eat cookies and then it's a, yes. child, so just, it's a bit yeah oh. oh my gosh there's there's you know there's a lot of there's a lot of issues with that mm. oh, <laughs> like for another podcast yeah oh god yeah I saw a post today from my friend um radical love I don't know if you've seen it mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. how like I can't remember it's something to do with how like our beauty standards and everything and like how we groom ourselves it's like basically based off pedophilia oh yes yes I just yeah I've mm -hmm, yes (laughs) I've seen that come up like recently the last couple of months and so Mm. I'm interested because I've been like I want to explore that a lot more because I think there's a lot of validity to that when you look at what the standards of beauty are and how it's just like yeah we're at the basis of some of Mm. that there's just so much so much dark dark roots there's so many dark roots when you look at every aspect of what we yeah. kind of like put on pedestals in mm. every, the whole, every, everything's every so world. dark like I feel yes. especially <laughs> last year I've just lost any hope for humanity oh. like <laughs> It's been really, it has been a little grim, but then you get to start to see that there are really some great people that are mm-hmm. trying to push those conversations, bring them to the forefront and then find solutions to yeah. some of these issues. So there, there is hope, but yeah, it can feel very overwhelming when you go from like, to, like just the, the expanse from one end of the spectrum to the other, there's always something. And then you just start to realize like, as, and I don't know what the education system is like where you are, but here, I mean, it's like it's a very like whitewashed history, you know, like we're saviors and like everything is perfect. And so I feel like it wasn't until I went to college and I was 18 years old and I started to actually learn about some of the real history of the United States. And then Mm. since then, it's just been like my own education because nobody, 
talks about that. Even in my training, my medical training, we don't talk about the racist roots of medicine and especially gynecology. And so that's just, yeah, it's crazy. Mm. Yeah. Like I always remember thinking like we'd always learn about with English history, like Auschwitz and how like, it was awful it never happens and stuff but I think it turns out I you have to correct me if I'm wrong but I'm pretty sure we invented like um concentration camps or something and you never, oh my we never gosh. Learned, yeah we never learn about that side of it learn like, about we're, it. we're always the victims mm-hmm. but really mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. yeah Mm, even when you start looking when you start looking back at like um you're right like sterilization and world war ii and and what hitler did but like there were a lot of roots so that started in the united states and some people from um other countries around the world that kind of like helped to create that that system of eugenics here in the united states and that's really what fueled some of what happened in Germany so it's mm. just yeah it's crazy it's crazy it's crazy mental <laughs> anyway yes. back to vulvas yes <laughs> um, how can we keep our vulvas healthy like what's the best mm. tips so you know the the good thing to the good answer to this question is that you actually really don't have to do a lot the mm. the vulva and the vagina are like really good at maintaining their own cleanliness they're self cleaning essentially so you don't have to do anything extra i have so many people that think oh my gosh any smell is a bad smell like your vagina and your vulva are going to have a smell like we mm. all emit some sort of pheromone and like your vagina and your vulva do as well. And so not all odor is bad odor, but I think a lot of people get in their head that like, if there's any weird smell, I have to, I have to soap, I have to douche, I have to clean, I have to shave, I have to do this. And all you're doing is causing yourself more problems because there is a natural odor and that's normal. Now, obviously if you're having like itching or you feel like something smells really foul or something that's new for you, that should definitely be checked out by a medical professional because there Mm -hmm. are infections that are tied with certain odors. And so we want to make sure that we're not missing anything from that standpoint, but otherwise you don't need to do anything. You really don't like, even when you're in the shower, the best way to clean is just let soapy water actually run down and run over the vulva. That's it. And then kind of pat dry at the end. You don't even need to like rub the outside and and get all like crazy with it because Mm. you're just increasing your risk that you're shifting the normal bacteria there. And then you're going to end up with like yeast infections, bacterial vaginosis, just constant itching. Mm. It can increase your discharge. And then people get frustrated with that. So the best thing to do, let it do its own thing. And if you're worried about something, then get it checked out, but your vagina and vulva are supposed to have a smell. There's supposed to be some discharge that is normal to have discharge. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to go crazy, like making it smell like cherry blossoms and Mm -hmm. peppermint. Like that is not a normal way for any part of our genitals to smell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember when I was younger, like I would be obsessed, like I'd be really, really self-conscious of it. And I remember I had like BV, I felt like permanently through my teenage years, just because I was constantly cleaning. Yes. Now, yeah, now I've left it alone. She, she's she's tip top. <laughs> yes, great. good. Yes. I mean, I was like, I probably could have bought stock in Bed Bath & Beyond. I like yes. lathered myself <laughs> in every single lotion because I was just like, I want to smell like perfect. And yeah, you hear it just, in song lyrics. They're like, oh, she yes. smelled like, oh, she tasted like Pete. I'm like, yes. what? <laughs> yes. I don't no, do and this. That's, no, and that's the thing is it's like, now there are like some people will use different like flavored lubes and things mm. like that for certain sexual experiences. And like some people can tolerate that and that's great. But for a lot of people, there's really harsh chemicals in a lot of those things. And so even like for sexual stimulation, like 
those things can still put you at increased risk for infection. But if you felt like that was something you wanted to try, sure, go for it. But like, we, I think a lot of it is just rooted in this like patriarchal viewpoint that like Mm -hmm. our vaginas and vulvas are supposed to look pristine, right? They're supposed Mm -hmm. to look a certain way. They're supposed to smell a certain way. They're supposed to taste a certain way. And that's been what's been force fed to us for generations. And that only serves one purpose. And that is a, 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 a purpose that's unattainable and unachievable, but mm-hmm. desired by some men, women, mm-hmm. I don't know anybody Like it's just been created to, to, to exist, but it doesn't, it's like unattainable if that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I think it's really confusing and unfair. Like when you see companies that say they're for like women's health or stuff, but mm-hmm. then they're advertising like douching or like soaps yes. that are really it's because it's so confusing because it will say it will have packaging like oh you're looking you need to keep it clean looking after mm-hmm. anything oh i'm doing mm-hmm. the right thing yes yeah, it's not good yes <laughs> it's all it's all about the money and people mm. realize that like if you package it because again i think a lot of it is we we have been taught that our self-worth is wrapped up in our genitals right like mm-hmm. when you talk about virginity and waiting till marriage and all this stuff yeah. that we're taught from like a really young age our self-worth is wrapped up in our genitals and that's mm-hmm. just people know that and people want to exploit that and make money off of that but there yeah. is no no reason whatsoever to waste your money on any mm. of that nonsense not at all Mm-mm. you are right like it's it's like you have like a checkbox and I'm not an adult until I've done this part with my genitals or yes. I've done this and yeah mm-hmm. toxic yes it <laughs> so, is. yeah so I mentioned douching briefly I think it's mm-hmm. definitely more popular in places like America like I've personally mm-hmm. haven't actually seen it advertised here I don't know if it's just oh, dropped okay. down a bit yeah but, um yeah what are the problems with douching gosh so besides so the number one reason is that the biggest issue with it is that it can certainly disrupt the normal bacteria. So your vagina is actually meant to be a normal, like a specific pH. And that pH can, if you have an infection, it will change. Um, After sex, it will change. After exposure to semen, it will change. And those are normal things during your period when you menstruate, pregnancy, postpartum, menopause, all those things, like your, your vaginal pH will change and that's normal. But with douching, what happens is the chemicals in there can shift that change to such an extent that it removes the normal bacteria that's there. And it allows other bacteria that normally are really quiet to then all of a sudden grow and become a pain. So for instance, bacterial vaginosis is something that's really common when people douche very frequently, because there's an actual, there's a bacteria that's normally in our vagina and it's like, doesn't really have any harmful effects, but it's called lactobacilli. And it just kind of sits there. It's like a just symbiotic kind of sits there. No big deal. Mm. But when you douche, you're kind of like shifting the concentration of bacteria like that. So now all of a sudden they are not in their normal numbers and other bacteria are able to kind of ramp up and cause infection. So you're, you're disrupting like the normal flora of the vagina and allowing some bacteria that's normally really quiet in the vagina to then become active and change that pH and increase your risk for bacteria vaginosis. You're almost making it dirtier because you're like adding yes. more bacteria. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It just kind of shifts the, the, the yeah. balance of the bacteria. The other thing that I've seen for people that douche is you can actually like injure the tissue of your vagina and the opening of the, vo- of the, of the vagina. So I've seen people come in with like tears and it's just like, it's, 
you just kind of have to wait for it to heal, you know, because you obviously can't put a bandaid down there. Um, so I've seen people with just like injury from that. Um, so again, there's so many risks and, and no benefit. There's no benefit to douching at all. Uh, sounds mm-hmm. traumatic. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. I know. And I, I, I've personally never done it, but mm. I have cared for plenty of women who think that like, that's the answer. Like, oh my gosh, I just don't like the smell when I'm on my period. So what it's your period. You are actively shedding mm. tissue. <laughs> from your uterus and blood. Like, it's not going to smell like roses. It's going to have like yeah. this iron, flesh. like kind of smell. Yes. It's exactly like, it, it's not going to smell great. And like, you don't have to do, you don't have to get that smell away. Like that's the very normal process. But again, mm. we're just conditioned to think that like our shit shouldn't smell. Our blood mm. shouldn't smell. Like that's not, that's not and normal. And if somebody <laughs> complains, like you shouldn't be with them. You don't want to be yes. associated with people that, mm. yeah. That, yes, I am. That is also very, very <laughs> important to point out because again, it just kind of propagates this idea that like our bodies are supposed to be one way and for what, for someone to decide that it's good enough for them. Mm, mm. You can, you can, you can take that nonsense elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. It's almost good if we smell a little bit, we can weed out the dicks. <laughs> yes. Yes. And plus also like, let's be honest, like if you are a woman and you have in, in, uh, engaged with any sort of like oral sex, that shit doesn't smell good either. And we're no. not telling them to go like cherry yeah, blossom their penis, you know? <laughs> you <never laughs> house. Uh, yeah, that is a very good point. Yes. Oh. <laughs> uh. so um I saw your post on um I'm just gonna I'm putting air quotation no one's gonna see them I don't know I'm doing that um yes (laughs) ecology was built on the black the back of black enslaved women can you please elaborate yes the next part mentions strong racism and abuse if this is something you do not want to listen to please skip ahead to 28 minutes in thank you yes oh my gosh so this this is something that again I think the information, especially like last year, a lot of this information was starting to come to the forefront, but there's so much history, not only in gynecology, but in medicine in general, there's actually a really great book. I'm going to, I wrote it down because I didn't want to like mess up her name. Um, but it's called medical apartheid. And, Mm -hmm. um, it basically talks about how, medical experiments were done on black people through colonialism up until like the late 2000s. And so it's been, it's permeated every aspect of medicine, but in gynecology, there are some really significant things that have happened. And as a gynecologist, as someone that has trained in this specialty, this was not anything that I was ever taught, ever learned. This is, this is, again, it's part of that, that that system in this country, in most countries where you sweep that under the rug, because you don't want to say that white people were experimenting on enslaved women, like against their will. Um, So there are, so a couple of the examples that are really worth highlighting, and some people may have heard of some of them, but the the one that comes to the forefront, if you do any Google search is Mm -hmm. um, a man named James Marion Sims. So he's considered the father of gynecology. Um, this one of the speculums we use is called the Sim speculum. It's named after him. There's a couple of other things that are like still to this day, like named after him. Still, yes, it's ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> one of the one of the things that he did, I know, it's just there. There was a petition that was going on a couple months ago, and I like signed and sent yeah. it to everybody. So I was like, how are we still in like, you know, the 21st century, like doing this? But um, 
So what he did is he actually became really well known for helping to correct something called a fistula. So a fistula is just like a track that forms between two spaces. And in particular, one of the uh, enslaved women that became well known and associated with Sims was a woman named Anarka. And um, Betsy and Lucy were two other ones, but there was many others. Of course, at this time in the antebellum era, you weren't recording everyone's name. They were just written down as black female or enslaved you know, woman. Like they didn't necessarily write down names, but there were some documentations of these specific women. Um, and so Anarka was 17 years old. She had a really severe form of rickets and vitamin D deficiency. So she had significant like, like bone issues, pelvic, pelvis ish, pelvic bones were not really suitable for vaginal delivery. But at that time, like you just kind of did what you had to do. She labored for three days at 17 years old, delivered a, a, a stillborn. So the baby was not born alive. Um, and at the time, Sims was kind of called in to help with the delivery because at that time, a, a lot of deliveries um, and obstetric and postpartum care were were provided by black women, enslaved women. Um, of course, there were some like indigenous women and some white women that were in, involved in like midwifery as what we would call it yeah. today. But it was really provided by a lot of black women and enslaved women. And so Sims was called in and he was like, okay, yeah, like help to get the baby out. But she had, because of her long labor and because of her significant uh, rickets disease, she ended up having like such bad trauma down below to the point that there was a connection, a fistula between her bladder and her vagina, and then between her rectum and her vagina. So basically like peeing and pooping out of the vagina, like there was just connections everywhere. And so she ended up, yeah, being one of his first patients that underwent multiple surgeries so that he could actually create procedures to repair fistulas. And so she was documented to undergo 30 procedures over like a five-year period, all without anesthesia and all while still being required to work. So she actually was then like employed, I'm using quotes to work in like this little hospital setting where he was also operating on other women for these same issues. So that's like one of the biggest things that Mm. again, like we just don't, hear about it and there was yeah, a statue of this man yeah the statue of this man that was central park still erected. yes up until i think 2018 is when they pulled mm. it down so that's like that's one area something else and again people i think have become a little bit more aware um henrietta Lacks. so she and this is actually more recent she was a black woman who was i think in her early 30s she was diagnosed with um cervical cancer she was getting cared um, up in like the Northeast in the 1950s. And she went to go see a, a specific doctor. They ended up like biopsying some of her, her cancer cells while she was going undergoing treatment and sent her cells off to be studied. The issue here is that she was never consented to that. She was usually whenever we do a biopsy, we do anything mm-hmm. to a human being, we ask permission. And at the time that was just not done. So anyways, her cells became studied and found Mm -hmm. to be really fascinating because her cancer cells grew at a rate that was so rapid that it actually allowed other diseases to be studied. And so her cells were used to help create vaccines, including the polio vaccine to understand how viruses work. They've been used to help um, educate and learn about how HIV works, just to name a few things, but it took 26 years from when she was diagnosed 
using, using those cells to when it became public to her family that her cells were used. So 26 years of using Henrietta Lacks' cells, we call them HeLa cells. It's the first line of immortal human cells that were used and no permission. 26 years later, her family finally finds out because basically there was like a contamination and the the lab was trying to figure out like, oh, what's going on with the cells? And so they had to reach out to the family to get more like family history of, of like diseases and things. And that's the only reason why the family was ever contact. Like one of the reasons that, and so it's terrible, but in that 26 year period, they generated over 800 billion cells from this woman's cell line, 800 billion wow. cells to study. And I mean, there's over, I don't I That's think so many. Center, it's <laughs> crazy. There are hundreds of patents that are exist for like vaccines and medications and all these like uh, procedures because of her cells. So again, like so much was, was discovered from mm. this black woman's body that was used really without her consent. Um, one of the other things that is also worth mentioning is just even looking at um, the the uh, practice of midwives. So mm-hmm. midwives are there's a couple different like types of midwives that exist in our country. Like some of them will go through like a certified nurse midwife midwife program. There are what we call lay midwives. So there's a whole bunch of them, but. Um, midwives, like I said earlier, were a lot of times they were just, they were black women. Like they were Mm. slaves that were delivering other women. And so they kind of created this practice of midwifery. Well, of course, you know, white doctors were like, wait a second, this is something we should be doing. This is something we can get paid for. This is something that we need to take responsibility for, because you know what, you can't solve the problems when babies get stuck. You can't solve the complications when this and this happens. We can, we can fix these problems. So it could actually, the practice of midwifery was also kind of stolen from black people, indigenous cultures, and really was used as a way to promote without mincing words, white supremacy and the idea that only white male doctors could provide decent obstetrical care. And there was one doctor in in particular, yeah, who made an entire speech about this and basically said, and I quote, that midwives are um, a relic of barbarism and has been a drag on the process of science and the art of obstetrics. So really just like trying to diminish the work. of black midwives. And so that was just like, again, these are all things and there, you can find thousands of examples, but these are just the ones that are really specific to me that as I learn about them, I'm like, just angry that as a gynecologist, I was never taught like, yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe you should know some of the racist roots of the practice of medicine that you do. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, I share all this stuff on my Instagram, just so that people can be aware yeah. of. It must've been quite a shock from- when, cause obviously you study for ages and then mm-hmm. find out that stuff yes. you're learning is <laughs> yes uh, yes <laughs> mm. it's just it's but, just so like the fact we white people and white men have just been like stealing and profiting mm-hmm. from like people of color and other races just since the dawn of time mm-hmm. and, and it's just not like and the other thing I think as you grow up and you realize because in school you learn if you do learn about anything like this it is always this was the past this doesn't happen now oh yeah like this was like just to comfort us it it happened but it doesn't happen anymore but mm-hmm. you realize no it's it's always happening it's always happening then you get something like january 6 2021 where you're just like what and yeah. it's because 
you're told this doesn't happen anymore, or these people, they're mm-hmm. like few and far between. No, it's a, it's a cultural belief. It's an identity of, um, privilege and yeah. it is, you know, and, and I've had people say to me, like, how you're, you're white, how are you white bashing? And I'm like, it's not an issue of white bashing. It's an issue of reality. Mm-hmm. It's an issue of understanding that I, as a white woman, while I don't have the privilege of a white man, I have more privilege than people uh-huh. of color. And I am not yeah. going to be quiet about that. And if people want to take me more seriously because of the color of my skin, I'm mm-hmm. going to yell and scream from the top of my lungs until everybody is taken seriously, regardless of the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the point of why I talk about these things and why I bring them up because it's not mm-hmm. gone. It's just really well hidden. And yeah, I mean, most- the last few days, it hasn't been hidden very well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I still can't get over that. How just, it's, yeah. It's just still mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Not even being mm-hmm. subtle about their racism. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, and they haven't been for the last four years. They've been out and open, like no fear whatsoever. The fact that we elect that someone got elected in Congress that was an open supporter of QAnon mm-hmm. just shows that it's not even, not even something to hide anymore. Yeah. God. <laughs> well, on to labiaplasty. Yes. <laughs> We're covering so many topics here. Oh my God. I'm telling you, like, I just, I won't stop. You ask them, they're going to get everything that I have on my mind. <laughs> dream guest, dream guest. Sometimes people come on and I'm like, oh no, it's going to be like 10 minutes long. Cause I, oh, no. I'm nervous as well. I can mm-hmm. be like really quiet. And I'm like, hold on, why am I doing a podcast? <laughs> I'm not I have chatting. those thoughts too, where I'm like, I, I like, that was a really short answer. Okay. I just got to figure out something else. <laughs> Uh, yeah anyway right so what would you say the truth is like what the whole Mm -hmm. deal around the lack of training with clitoral Mm -hmm. anatomy in the medical world Mm -hmm. so um jessica pin she's a lady that unfortunately we had a bit of a um clashed heads but Mm -hmm. she's doing some amazing work Mm -hmm. uh just trying to educate people on how little training that i didn't realize that some people that perform labiaplasty get a, surrounding mm-hmm. the clitoris and I, th- I believe that hers was damaged mm-hmm. um yeah so what is the whole deal with that like why aren't they taught yeah mm. <laughs> yeah if you can if you can so that. <laughs> yeah no I will I will there's a lot to unpack mm. from that and this so I want to try topic. to address a couple different things but yeah it is and I'm going to just you know try to keep it simple because it's definitely there's a lot of a lot of things to consider when you're talking about labiaplasty but um so labiaplasty itself is for people that aren't aware it's really just a surgery where you're essentially like correcting the labia so the outer part of the vulva the lips if you will and there are a lot of reasons why this are why this is done there are a lot of medical reasons for mm-hmm. instance um there are people that have maybe develop something from birth. Maybe they have ambiguous genitalia. Maybe they underwent some sort of like female genital mutation and Mm -hmm. they're trying to like reverse that. Um, You were born without parts of the vulva or the vagina. There are many medical reasons to do that. However, most of the labiaplasties that are performed are for cosmetic purposes, right? Going back Mm -hmm. to this notion that like, uh, your lips have to be perfect. They They can't be be like long. They can't be like to the side. They have to be like, you know, three centimeters long and pink. And that's like what normal is. Um, So a lot of people do pursue labioplasty for cosmetic reasons. Especially if they've not seen, if they've only seen it on porn. Yes. And they don't think theirs is normal. Yeah. 
Exactly. Exactly. And so what has come about that is that labiaplasty itself is not a common procedure that's taught in residency. It's not like a Mm -hmm. standard of care. In fact, our governing board of um, American board of obstetrics and gynecologists actually feels pretty strongly about not doing labiaplasties for cosmetic purposes because it's just there is no benefit. Again, it perpetrates this myth that like vulvas are supposed to look one way. Um, Mm -hmm. but also surgery is not without risk. And when you're talking about the vulva, the vulva is only recently become a bit more understood in the last three decades or so, since we've really gotten to learn about the clitoris and the Mm -hmm. anatomy of the clitoris and how it's not just this little ball that we see, um, Mm -hmm. at the top of the labia, but that it is actually a deeper structure. And there are thousands of nerves, somewhere around 8,000 nerves. And we still don't quite know the extent of the anatomy of the clitoris in terms of how those nerves interact with other tissues of the vulva and the vagina and the labia and the urethra and the like quote unquote G spot. So there's a lot that's still not really fully understood because it's just never gotten the attention that it needed because it's just (laughs) no big deal. Right. So when you have people that do decide to provide labioplasties. They usually do some sort of training. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there are people that are qualified to do some of the types of labioplasty. Again, I'm talking about cosmetic. I'm not talking about the medical because that's a totally different one. Like there's a lot more training for those other types of medical, medically indicated labioplasties. Um, But for cosmetic stuff, you really are kind of shooting in the dark um, because there's not necessarily like one standard practice. Like there are, there are mm-hmm. different ways to do some of those labioplasties, but um, you just, you have to hope that you have somebody that trained under somebody that actually knew what they were doing. And because there's still so much about the nerves, especially the nerves of the clitoris and how mm-hmm. they interact down in those tissues below you can have such a variation of how those nerves are dispersed that if you end up having a labiaplasty and maybe your anatomy wasn't fully appreciated, you can have some pretty significant consequences. You can have nerve damage and it can impact orgasm. It can impact lubrication. It can impact sensation. So there is a pretty significant risk to having a cosmetic labioplasty, especially if you're having it with the physician who doesn't do them all the time and who doesn't have qualified training. Cause again, it's not something that's routinely taught in any residency because it's just kind of like looked down upon for cosmetic purposes. Mm. Would a plastic surgeon ever do it or is it always a would it be an OB? You know what? I've seen a mixture of both. There are like gynecologists that will hmm. do extra training um, to do that, but there are a lot more like plastic surgery trained physicians that are doing that type okay. of surgery. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine oh, losing your orgasm. Oh, it's, you know, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't imagine. And I would like, and to, to have it because you underwent a procedure that was not indicated. And I get, I get, there's a whole, like, there's a lot of psychological component to that. Mm-hmm. Like I understand yeah. how self-worth is wrapped up in how you feel about your body. Believe me, I have dealt with body self-esteem issues. I guess it's similar to like, like boob jobs and stuff. And yes. Yeah. Yes. Any, yes. any cosmetic surgery really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So it's just, it's just something that it's, I think the bigger issue at play is the fact that that procedure even has to exist cosmetically because we've created yeah. this mentality that like, again, 
your vulva should look a certain way, which mm-hmm. I love. I love like the vulva gallery and all yes. those like other resources mm-hmm. because they just, they show you like the, 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 the I think that's called the vulva, the vulva wall. Like there's so many different things out there that just show you like medically, mm-hmm these are, this is what vulvas look like, like there. And believe me at the end of the day, like your partner, man, if your partner really feels like they can't do anything with you because of how your vulva looks like that's the partner that is dead weight. That you should be like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just, it makes me really sad that people can even be like that. And it's usually the ones and you're like, come on, mate. Like, Mm-hmm. you're not doing too well yourself like yeah yeah <laughs> stop criticizing other people yes it's like oh my gosh like there there was this uh video that I watched oh my gosh because I'm on TikTok sometimes too and this oh, I love it this man was like <laughs> Ladies, if you think that withholding sex is a form of punishment, we'll just find it elsewhere. And the dude is like 290 pounds, like just like oh you can gosh. tell hygiene is not like in his top five daily things. Um, yeah. And I was like, who are you to even like make that statement? But that's mm. that's the that's the society we live in. Like people are still taught to think those things. And it's just it's just sad to know that like our future generations are still growing up, like having to, to deal with that. But Mm -hmm. there is, I am hopeful because I feel like, especially like there's a lot of benefit with social media and we start to, you know, your paths will cross with people that just open your world and provide you education and knowledge and perspective. And it, I like to think that that will overcome some of the Mm. bullshit, but we still have work to do. For me, like my, yeah, a lot of work to do, but yeah, for Mm -hmm. me, like I'm, I'm I've just got to get the paper and work and stuff and I'm qualified in sex education but again that's really basic that's thank you yeah that's more like if you would teach it at schools and stuff like Mm -hmm. that but I so I haven't got much qualifications I'm going to start sex therapy in September training but apart from that I just thank you I just do my own research so it's and it's Mm -hmm. almost like I'm teaching myself so yes I'll find something out and I'm like oh my god people need to know that and then I look back and there's simple things about your body Yes. we should know yes <laughs> and yes and they're like oh my god I never knew this like how have I gone yes. this whole time and I'm like I know it's mental yes yes I've had people that are like I mean like obviously younger but they're like how do you how do you pee if you wear a tampon and I'm like oh okay we got to talk about the openings because yeah it's just like something as simple as that you know it's well like I don't think don't... I knew until 16 how many holes I had mm-hmm. down there <laughs> like I thought yes. I peed out yeah, and, that's, and that's the thing it's like <laughs> Yes. Even like, as again, as a gynecologist, I'm like, there are things about the body. I'm like, well, how did I not know that? Like, how did I not know that? And of course, like when you talk about the clitoris, like that's just like mind blowing the amount of stuff that is out there that we don't know that we don't, we're not educated on, but Mm. mm -hmm. yeah, it's our body. Like we're in that body forever. Like, well, not forever, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. It's usually the only one we get. I mean, (laughs) Yeah, right. We have some questions from Instagram. Sure. That I will I'm excited. Away at. <laughs> I'm unorganized and didn't save them. No, nope. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> In one of those days. Um, right. Yeah, so it's, I feel like it's still technically 2020. So mm. like, we're still just trying to wrap up. <laughs> yeah, we're still living in. Oh, good. Yeah, right. <laughs> So how to clean and care for it. We have had that one already. So let's mm-hmm, get that. Mm-hmm. Different kinds of discharge. What do they mean? Mm. 
Oh, that's a good one. Okay. So, um, most commonly, so in order to understand discharge, you have to understand that the vagina itself and the cervix itself actually have cells that are meant to like moisturize and lubricate. So every day we actually make a little bit of discharge and that's really very normal. So any type of discharge is kind of like white, maybe a little clear, milky looking. That's really normal. When you ovulate, you make more discharge. It tends to be thicker. So it can almost look a little mucusy. Like some people will say, sometimes it just looks like a booger. That's kind of normal for, for that to happen midway the month between uh, when you're about to ovulate. Um, those are very just normal things that can happen. There are some abnormal, I mean, there is abnormal discharge. Of course, if you feel like it's starting to change color, yellow, green odor, itchy. Um, if you have, like bloody discharge that's not related to your period, or if you have like bloody kind of discharge after sex, um, those are definitely things that you want to get checked out because it can mean that maybe there's something like a little early infection or sometimes when people have, um, you can have like what are called polyps. They're just like little extra pieces of growth. Sometimes they can be like on the outside of the cervix. They can be hanging out of the cervix and they can cause bleeding after sex and kind of create this like little bloody type discharge. Mm. Um, obviously early pregnancy, Um, some people (laughs) don't find out they're pregnant until like, I've missed my period, but I've got this like a little bit of spotting bloody discharge. Um, so those are the the big things to look out for, but discharge that's kind of like white clear, that's normal birth control pills can actually increase your discharge. A lot of actually hormones will will increase your discharge because of how they work. Um, birth control pills in particular, one of the ways that they prevent pregnancy is by thickening the cervical mucus. So sperm can't get up. So when you thicken the cervical mucus, it's going to come out and it's going to come out as discharge. So, so a lot of, a lot of people don't, don't get that piece of information when they start contraception, especially anything that has estrogen Mm -hmm. in it is that you can have a little bit more discharge once you start yeah. once you start those type of medications. I just sort of a question. This isn't yeah. on Instagram, but what yeah. are your thoughts on, you know, as a contraceptive method like fertility tracking and period tracking? Yeah. So I think um there are a lot of people that don't that really don't like hormones, that don't do well with hormones. And mm. I understand that. Like, I really do. It's, you know, you have to really be comfortable with what you put in your body. And there's a lot of information out there that's coming out about how hormones and birth control are actually impacting a lot of other parts of our body, including our brain. So I understand people like don't want to have hormones. Um, you just have to be really careful because of course it's, it, it's not as effective as other types of birth control, but it's still, if you do it right and you feel comfortable with it, I've had people that have used natural family planning for years. They go off of it when they're trying to have a pre- get pregnant, they get pregnant. They just, that's all they do when they're done. They're like, I'm just, I know when to have sex. I know when to do that. The problem is a lot of people don't ovulate regularly. So if you have very irregular periods, um, mm-hmm. it's really hard to, to, to do natural yeah, family planning. Exactly. So that's a group of people that sometimes it works a little less effectively for. Um, there is also a non-hormonal, there are non-hormonal birth control options. Um, one of them is the IUD. It's the copper IUD called Paragard. Um, and there is another, uh, thing that came out, I think maybe a year ago or two years ago. Um, it's called Fexi, uh, P-H-E-X-X-I. It's non-hormonal and you use it basically like right before sex and it's supposed to be like a a form of contraception. So I've never heard of that. um, 
Yeah. I have no personal experience with it. It's something that I've come across. that has been brought to my attention. I don't know anybody that's used it, but it is definitely out there. It's, I mean, you can find tons of information online. Um, and it is another non-hormonal option, but for me, I'm like, I will support whatever people want to do, but as long as you're educated on what, what can happen. And as I recommend for everybody, even if you are on birth control, if you, especially, and especially if you're not on, on anything is you want to make sure you take a prenatal vitamin, because if you have a surprise pregnancy, accidental pregnancy, at least you already have the important vitamins, specifically folic acid in there. And that's just something that I recommend to everybody. So do natural family planning, do cycle tracking, do basal body temperature, all of that. But like, just pop a, pop a prenatal vitamin as part of your regular routine in case you just have a surprise pregnancy. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Cause I always thought like I've been on contraception since I was probably like 15 mm-hmm. and I just don't know. You don't, I always think like, I don't know what I'd be like off it. Cause I've just, yeah. like my adult life so far, I've always been on hormones and I just, yes. I always think, Oh, it'd be so nice to go off. But I know my luck if I did this fertility tracking. <laughs> I would be pregnant. (laughs) And that's a really, that's a real thing. And actually there's, oh my gosh, there's a really good book um, by Sarah Hill. It's called your, your brain on your brain on birth control. Like the name is escaping me because I read it like three months ago. Um, But it is a phenomenal book. It's slightly depressing when you realize like how much Mm. hormones can impact your body. And she goes through a lot of different, yeah, she goes through like different studies that have been done and looking at like women who were on birth control and weren't on birth control when they got in relationships, how it impacted certain things about their life. And it's just like, Oh yeah. It makes sense because there's, I mean, yeah, it's, there's so many receptors in the body for estrogen and progesterone that are not just in your, that, that do not impact solely your ovary that impact everything else, like your liver, your brain, everything else. So it's yeah, like depression is like, yes, on it. so, oh. yes. There are a lot of women that will get worsening depression and anxiety. And again, even though the studies don't say like, Oh yeah, this is, it's, anecdotally, like, especially if you've ever been on those, you know, like it, you're, we, I think most women have experienced, like, Mm. yeah, I definitely feel like more irritable, or I feel like it's gotten my anxiety. Like, and that is a real, real side effect. And there are so many different types Mm. of hormones that sometimes it can be changed and be, you know, titrated up or down to different concentrations, but, but it's a really, it's, it sucks. It sucks to, to try to find something that won't impact everything, but that's why we need to open that conversation to male contraception. Yes. I was about to say, when is it that time? Yes. Yes. There's actually a really great group. It's called um, the male contraceptive initiative. And they're actually trying to like, you know, consider even like changing their name, but they're talking about um, looking at male birth control because it's like, it shouldn't be just on didn't they do Those trials? Have, yeah. Didn't yes. And they had, they couldn't yes. cope with the side effects. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 And you're like, uh, okay. And it but, was similar to know. what we have. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was the same, like the nausea and headaches and mood changes mm-hmm. and things like that. <laughs> so yeah, it really does. And again, it just, again, I think it speaks to like a larger issue at play in our society of why, you know, all of this falls onto our plate. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I'm hopeful, but they're doing a lot of really good work. Actually, I had them on, um, I interviewed them for a podcast. I'm not sure when it's going to be released, but they're just a fantastic group of people. So they do a lot of good work. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're trying, they're trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. We talked um, to, have you heard of Day, like the CBD tampon people? 
No, well, we I had, have not. Yeah, we had her on. They do the pain. She was talking about the pain gap. Yeah. And I just couldn't believe how, like, she was saying that paracetamol was never tested, like, up until 19-something, like, really mm. recent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't have to have women in, like, clinical trials. So, like... Most, yeah. Yeah. So she mm-hmm. said that, like, paracetamol, the dose is actually for males and women actually need a lot more and all mm-hmm. this and how it's so different. And it's just... Oh. it's it's ridiculous and it brings up it brings up a really another really interesting point is that when you look at a lot of like medical studies there's huge gender gaps in a lot of medical studies there are huge racial gaps in racial a lot of medical gaps, studies yeah. and one of the things that I found that I find really interesting is even when you talk about like you know study like research and stuff when you're talking about like oh how do you fund for all these different types of, of things that exist when you're looking at obviously like for women, research that involves women is always usually less than, than any condition that affects a man. But when you're looking at gynecological issues and you're looking at like how certain conditions affect like black women more than white women, it's really interesting because for instance, fibroids affect 80% of black women. Um, fibroids in 2021 are supposed to get around $16 million of funding. Mm. When you look at something like cystic fibrosis, which affects mostly white people, they are supposed to get around, uh, $79 million in 2021 autism, which again affects affects 1.1 times more white people than black people, $287 million going to study autism in 2000 wow. and, uh, 2021. <sighs> Yet anthrax, anthrax, like what the fuck? Nobody, mm-hmm. like anthrax, nothing. $28 million is slotted to go towards anthrax research in 2021. Which is anthrax stupid. is like, it's a, um, it's like an infect not an infection, but it, it's a bacteria that can really affect mostly likes like, uh, animals. Um, mm-hmm. but people that work with animals that are infected with anthrax can also get systemic infections. And for a while, like it's, it sometimes is the, uh, weapon of choice that's used mm-hmm. in ma- like to mail to somebody you don't like, you fill an envelope with anthrax and it usually creates this like crazy oh commotion, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's like a, like a, it's been weaponized essentially. And right. there, Okay. there were reports I think even recently like two years ago somebody in like Congress or someone was sent sent anthrax but the fact that anthrax gets 28 million dollars in 2021 mm. and and fibroids get 16 million I mean it's almost twice and you're so you're like just even the research for stuff that impacts not only women but women of color mm is far less i mean it's again just, it's everybody just, in power is white yes. and male or yes white and female well, yes and male. yeah yes. oh i know <laughs> depressing <laughs> right another question <laughs> um how can i learn to love my vulva i know i shouldn't mm. i know i should and i'm so underconfident in bed because of it that is and actually, a big question. <laughs> yeah, that's a really, that's a, but you know what? It's a really common question. Um, because I, again, I think a lot of it has to do with just the like nonsense that we're fed mm-hmm. from a really early age that like our bodies are supposed to look one way and one way only. And that's just not the way it is. Mm-hmm. I am not a very religious person um, by any means, but mm-hmm. I do believe. And I, and I think that like our bodies are the way that they were meant to be. And so if you are religious and you believe that like your body was designed by a higher being, a God, anything like that, mm-hmm. your body is the way that it, it was meant to be. And, and even if there are some things that you don't love about it, you can choose 
to change how you approach, how you view your body. And that's not easy. It's so much easier to say, you can love your body. You can decide to love your body. But when you have years, you have generational like trauma that's built in over time of how you're perceiving your body. That's a really hard thing to break away from, but it can be done. And actually a really good book that I've also really uh, loved reading last year was a book by Regina Thomashauer and she goes by mama Gina and it's called pussy reclamation and or pussy a reclamation. And it is such an empowering book. And, and she talks about ways in which she like physically would like look at her vagina in the morning, her vulva in the morning, SCSA vagina. She would look at her pussy. I say pussy. Mm-hmm. So I hope it's okay. No, um, that she it. would, <laughs> that she would look at it in the morning. She would like have a little routine where she would sometimes just like pump herself up, say great things to herself, like, and actually looking at that part of your body and realizing yeah, that, that makes like a big difference. it does, it does. And like, I know, cause we've all been there. Like, like, I don't want to look at it. I just don't want to look at it, but like, look at it, actually look at it, explore it, like touch it, see what feels different. Like as you start to do that, you're going to realize that you, there's far less fear than joy as you start to get to know those Mm. parts of your body, but it does, you have to, you have to know that those things that you're thinking, everyone thinks them, Mm. everyone feels a lot, not everyone, most people, because we all have been raised to think specifically. We're almost scared of them. Like, yes, exactly. It's like, I don't want to look at it. I don't, I don't don't want people to go down on me. yourself to your own body. Yes. Crazy. Yes. But yeah, it's definitely a journey. It's not like, yes. I always worry because I preach about like, you should love this, love that. But mm-hmm. it's not like you do the A to B and then you love yourself forever. Yeah. And you have bad days. I mean, I'm the down. same, mm-hmm. I'm the same way. I'm like, oh, I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, I'm disgusting. Like, I don't like the way I look today. And that's just because like, you're going to have bad days. But then as mm-hmm. you start making those, like kind of deciding that you're going to have replace some of those negative thoughts with positive thoughts, that becomes easier to be like, okay, you're being stupid. Like calm down. Like, look, look at how great your hair looks today. You know, like you start to find other things to yeah. celebrate, but it is a process. It is a really mm-hmm. long process. And if you have a partner or you're like with somebody like, let me tell you, okay. Mm. Most people do not care what your genitals look like. (laughs) Like it is not going to stop somebody from being like, I'm not going to have sex with you. (laughs) You know? Mm. And if, if you come across that, like one in a billion asshole that decides that that's how they're going to be, then they don't deserve your body. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, I wish there was something magical about, you know, that answer, but the truth is, is that like, it's important for everybody to realize that most people feel that way about their body. And, and it's a matter of knowing that that's not, doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. doesn't mean that, you know, there's something wrong with how you view your body or how you feel, mm-hmm. but it's just a matter of starting to find ways that you can retrain how you view yourself and how you view your worth as it relates mm-hmm. to your body. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, our last question is a bit of a, mm-hmm. a bit of a graphic one. <laughs> okay. I love <laughs> Someone it. <laughs> said, I squirted from anal play. Is that oh. common? And how does mm. that work? They say, like, is the G-spot, can you touch the G-spot from there? I guess the G-spot's another thing that's a bit of a mystery. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. So this is a great question. So I am um, I imagine that the question is um, when, the per- when the person squirted, they squirted from, like, the front area. They weren't mm-hmm. squirting, like, from their, like, 
spectrum yeah. at all. So <laughs> I just want to like make that clear. That's totally a totally different process. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot more yes, cleanup. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but there are, okay. So squirting is like, I just, I love talking about it because again, it's one of those things that there's so little information about. Mm. And the information that's out there is again, it's just like stupid information, very few, like little bits of information. People want to make sweeping generalizations about like one or two studies that are out there. But, um, so squirting is if you do it totally normal for you, like, it doesn't mean that anything's wrong. It doesn't mean that like things are loose. It doesn't mean anything whatsoever is wrong with you. There are I think, I think somewhere around like maybe 20% of sexually active people can squirt. So it's not like everybody can do it. There are some people out there that can like have videos that will kind of train you, like what sort of things you can do to see if you can get yourself to squirt. Um, but if you do it great, if you can't do it great, like it, it's just mm. one of those things, like it's, it varies between person to person. Um, I've had some so, people say it hurts. Why is that? You know what? I have actually not ever heard anybody say that it hurts, but I that's probably I'm, yeah, they've I would, got something else. <laughs> yeah, I was like, maybe they got something else going on. But when it comes mm. to squirting, you know, the big question that everybody always asks is, oh my gosh, is it pee? Blah blah blah. Mm. Is it what is it? And um, actually I I interviewed um somebody who, and again, the podcast is coming out talking about squirting and nice. Lola Jean, actually, she, she'll, we've got she'll her have, on scene. <laughs> oh yeah. She's yeah. awesome. And so, um, really great. And like, one of the things she said is like, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what it is. Like just mm. if you want to enjoy it, enjoy it. But I'm still like, I'm always really fascinated about the science of things. I'm, I'm like a scientist at heart, a biochemist mm. at heart. So I'm really interested in just like how the body works. Um, so there's a lot to learn from there, but mm. is squirting pee we don't know for sure, but my sense is it's not just regular. It's not like people are just peeing because yeah. they like couldn't get to the bathroom. There's so much going on there. And we know that the, there are actually two little glands that are right mm. next to the urethra that are called skeins glands. And mm. they have probably a bigger role than we even realize right now, but there's some connectedness between the skeins glands and the urethra that may also contribute to squirting. Um, and just the sheer volume, like some people that can make large volumes of squirting, mm kind of really makes it supports the idea that it's not just pee. Like when you're talking mm. about how arousal works in the body and how different hormones are activated, those hormones act on different parts of the brain on different parts of the brain that actually maintain and manage the fluid balance in your body. And so all of that is interconnected, but that's not stuff that people are talking about. Like you can't find anybody doing studies on this, but when you look at what hormones impact the brain? What hormones impact water balance? How do you, how does your body know to pee? A lot of the hormones that are increased in arousal have impact on the parts of the brain that control fluid, that it control bladder control, that include, that controls all sorts of things that are involved in squirting. So I think there's just so much we don't know about it, but if you can do yeah. it, great. If you can't, that's okay too. <laughs> I always forget that like, we don't, I just assume we know everything about the body now, but mm -hmm. I just I think it's, I still think it's mental that we're living in a world where we don't know everything about our body. Yes. And so, again, yeah. there's like, there was, there was one study that looked at like seven women and was like, it's definitely pee because it came from the bladder. Boom. Story, like mm. end of story. And it's like, that is like, you don't make any medical judgment based <laughs> on one study of seven people that was a piss ass poor study that yeah, didn't look at anything intended. else like <laughs> yes <laughs> I didn't even realize that yes and so it's just like you 
you tell me we were, we were going to have a study about male impotence that looked at seven people. You think that would have gotten published? Mm. Fuck no. They would have poured a hundred million more dollars into that study. And it's, again, it just kind of shows that how fast when it comes to, yes, yes, yes. Our bodies are glamorized and like, you know, exploited for a variety of reasons, but it comes to actually understanding it. There's just like, Nah, no big deal shrug it off nobody no benefits a man we don't care <laughs> exactly <Yeah>. exactly <laughs> so why do you think they would have squirted from anal play I'm guessing so, oh, that's, yeah, that's a good question so um yeah so a lot of it is so from anal play some people can really stimulate the um I'm going to say G-spot in quotes, but the G-spot itself does not actually, as far as we know, there's not like this organ called the G-spot. There's nothing Mm -hmm. that like, oh my gosh. But what we do know is that in the, like what we call the anterior part of the vagina. So if you're like inside the vagina and you're like trying to touch up towards the belly, that's called the anterior wall. And that wall is where you actually have a meeting of the clitoris. You have parts of the vaginal tissue and you have the urethra and you have skein's glands, all that kind of meet in this area. And some people will have kind of like a thicker tissue in that area yeah, like rich, that can be stimulated. Yeah. Yes. And exactly. And that's kind of what people like when they're feeling for the G spot, that's really what they're feeling. It's actually mm-hmm. like has a really non-sexy name called like the urethral sponge complex, mm-hmm. super <laughs> not sexy, but that's essentially like what it is. And you're some, some people it's really sensitive. It's a little bit thicker. And so it can be felt, it can be stimulated Mm. and with the right amount of pressure, the right amount of frequency, when you stimulate that area, because stuff like the urethra is right there, Mm. you can actually stimulate enough and cause squirting. So cause release of fluid from Mm. the urethra, um, and maybe even the bladder, depending on how hard the rest of those pelvic muscles Mm. contract. So I imagine that for some people, depending on how your anatomy Angle. is in your pelvis. Yes. Mm. And how, so your uterus can even play a part too, depending on which way your uterus faces. If mm-hmm. you are in a position where you're having anal sex, that, that uterus and cervix may be pushing a lot more on that mm. anterior part of the vagina and creating that stimulation that makes it easier than if you were laying on your back. So, yeah. um, I imagine that it has a lot to do with, with just how that pressure on that, that, that part of the vagina. And I guess because you've got like your clit going on, your your Mm -hmm. urethra and the sponge, I guess Mm -hmm. altogether it's. mm. Yes. yes, Does it coupled with an orgasm? Like I found if I've had, yeah, if I've had, it's only happened once where I've Mm -hmm. been stimulated in that area Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I felt like loads of pressure, like I'm going to. Yes. And then I don't, but it still feels really good. It's like I never yes. get there. Is that what yes. it is? <laughs> so, and, and that, and that actually like, cause I had a really good conversation about that with, um, Lola Jean and she mm. was like, you like squirting is not always associated with orgasm. And what you will find is there are some people that can make themselves squirt multiple times before they ever have an orgasm. So the two mm. do not necessarily have to go hand okay. in hand. Mm. Are there some people that maybe it goes at the same time. It's possible. But, um, Mm. again, I think every person is different, but if you don't orgasm when you, when you squirt, that's okay. Like, I think a lot of people that do squirt don't tend to have orgasms at the same time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This has been really interesting. That's actually all our questions. Um, Oh, excellent. Yeah. 
Um, so where can our listeners find you? This has been great. I feel like I'm yes. so clued up. I'm going to lay in bed and just be thinking about my body. <laughs> that is awesome. I, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, share all of my information anytime, mm. but, um, so right now I, on the Instagram, you can find me at the ludicrous uterus and on Not my Instagram, name. I have, thank you. <laughs> I uh, actually a funny story where like when I first was writing it out I spelled it like ludicrous like the rapper and my husband was like you know that's not how you actually spell ludicrous and I was like what so yeah so it's, it's not spelled like ludicrous the rapper but um on Instagram and then on there on my link tree I have a link to my website so that you can listen to po- my podcast um but it's also at, some, of it. mm. so, some of them are really just like out there. So, I mean, <laughs> feel free, but yeah, I like to just, I have, I have a few more, I have probably like 10 or 12 that are like slated for release in the next couple of months. Um, nice. but you can listen on Spotify, Google, Apple, um, but the links to everything are, are there. And I have blogs that I post, I was trying to post weekly, but I'm taking a little hiatus, but I mm. usually do all that on my website as well, but amazing. Yeah. That's a great stuff. Oh, thank you so <laughs> oh, much for coming you. on. Oh my gosh. It was <laughs> such a pleasure I enjoyed talking with you and anytime I can be a help just let me know yeah oh wow everybody (laughs) until next time (laughs) bye bye